You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Demar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills safety, is most valuable over the next year as a mystery not as a whistleblower or truth teller. The truth about what happened to him on Monday Night Football a month ago is totally irrelevant in comparison to how much money he can earn by telling a story that pleases advertisers. This is the power of television and social media. Separately, they harm the truth. Together, they annihilate truth, reducing it to an unrecognizable rubble and a weapon of mass destruction. The weaponization of DeMar Hamlin began this weekend. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday to you and yours. Hope you had a great weekend. We're going to start the week off running and going. What a terrific uh, bunch, group of games to talk about today uh, from the NFL playoff weekend. Wouldn't call them great games, but they're great games to discuss, and we'll do that uh, with Steve Kim and Coach Jason Brown. We're going to add a little Royce White to today's Monday show. Uh, as I expound on a DeMar Hamlin topic and the assault on truth that we're all experiencing and can be seen in how DeMar Hamlin was handled this weekend by CBS, the Buffalo Bills, the whole nine yards. Fantastic show planned for you today. Hope you're ready for it. Uh, we're going to go roll out straight to Steve Kim out in Los Angeles and uh, start off talking about last night's very fascinating. Not super compelling, but very fascinating. It was, it was a competitive game, a defensive struggle. Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys lose to the San Francisco 49ers last night. And, and also yesterday, Josh Allen losing to the Cincinnati Bengals earlier in the day. Again, I, I wouldn't call any, either one of these games great games but very fascinating games for what they say about the two quarterbacks, or really all four quarterbacks. But we'll start by talking about the losers. Dak Prescott, who threw two interceptions and was not very good. The Cowboys uh, could barely score. I think they scored 12 points uh, yesterday. That They allegedly have the most high-powered offense with Dak at the controls. Dak didn't get it done once again in the postseason, in the divisional round. Josh Allen, the guy who allegedly went into yesterday's game as the second best quarterback in the NFL after Patrick Mahomes, he leaves that game. He ain't better than Joe Burrow. No one saying that. And look, I, I'm someone that, uh, you know, said something very stupid about Joe Burrow early in the season, and I got to eat crow on that as well. But Josh Allen, you know, 
allegedly MVP candidate, a threat to Patrick Mahomes. Now there's real questions about Josh Allen and just how good he is. Uh, so we'll go, we'll start here, Steve Kim. Who was, who's, who's more overrated? And that doesn't mean they're terrible, but just overrated. Who's more overrated, Dak Prescott or Josh Allen? Uh, based on the standards that we set and the perceptions that we've had, it's Josh Allen. I've been his biggest advocate, but I said to JB on Friday, I said he's on the spot. If you actually look at his play, forget the numbers, because there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. Since that injury against the New York Jets, he's been a turnover machine. And one of my great concerns about Allen is that for all this talk of sustainability and he runs too much with Lamar Jackson, those same concerns should be with Josh Allen. He plays like a tight end that has a really good arm at times, and there's way too much of a reliance on hero ball. So with Dak Prescott, we kind of know what he is. See, Dak is miscast. He's not what I call an elite franchise quarterback. He's a game manager, and we could talk about that a little bit later. But when it comes to 17 in Buffalo, I expect better. We've seen flashes, but this is the truth. And it pains me to say it, but we have to be honest. This year, under the direction of Ken Dorsey, he regressed. Wow. 35 mm. TDs, 14 interceptions, <laughs> 4,000 yards. Yeah. He's tied for second with the most TDs in the regular season. Uh, now, the, t- I mean, the interception numbers are high. Uh, he's tied for 30th. I, 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 look, was he great yesterday? No. But I didn't leave that game yesterday thinking about how bad Josh Allen was. I left that game thinking about what happened. Buffalo's defense, was Von Miller that important? Yes. Micah Hyde that important? Yes. That, that I mean, they couldn't tackle, Steve. Well, a lot of look. times they were in position and just couldn't tackle. That defense was embarrassing, and that was my takeaway more than anything. I don't think Buffalo is sitting around today going, man, we can't win at all with this quarterback. I think people in Dallas are sitting around saying, I don't think we can win at all with Dak Prescott. Yeah, going real quickly back to Buffalo. It was not Miller time, and since he's been gone, this is what they brought him in for is to be that edge rusher in big games that can disrupt a pass offense by himself. And those first two drives, it looked like the Buffalo Bills, who had the home field advantage on the snow, they were on roller skates. And Joe Burrow's precision passing, taking the simple effective throws, and then making tight window throws, that's quarterbacking. And going back to Josh Allen, yes, the numbers look good, but there's too many games. Go back to the week before. They're up 17-3 on the verge of blowing out the Dolphins. But instead of being patient and taking the underneath stuff and intermediate, he starts turning the ball over, throwing it deep when you didn't have to. And the lack of a running game, they put a lot on the shoulders of Josh Allen. Now, taking a look at Dak Prescott, Cowboy Nation, I feel you. I feel great pain for you. The curse of Jimmy S. Johnson lives. And right now... Uh, what's going on with all my Cowboy friends, I, I kind of feel like, remember Purple Rain when the kid delivered a great performance after Billy said, hey, kid, I got three acts, only got 
room for two, and he belted out Purple Rain. But before that, remember Morris Day walks in and he goes, how's the family? That's what I feel like. I mean, it's a depressing, depressing time in Big D, but there's a realization for the Cowboys ever to win a Super Bowl with Prescott as their quarterback, they have to make them into Brad Johnson or Trent Dilfer, a complete game manager. If they have any, any, I'm just telling you, if they have any thoughts of saying, hey, Dak, you're going to be Troy Aikman or you're going to be Roger Staubach and we're going to put the ball in your hands 35 times and you're going to be the driving force to win this game and take us all the way to the promised land, it's not going to happen. Because what do quarterbacks do, game managers that have won in the past? You know one thing they don't do? They don't kill you with bad plays. They stay within the system and they make sure every drive ends in some sort of kick. And those two turnovers of Dak were absolute cripplers if you look at the game situation that they were in and they swung the game in different ways at different times and let me just give you a statistic here um run pass ratio that can be overrated but it also tells you a lot the san francisco 49ers with the rookie quarterback mr irrelevant 29 passes 32 rushes so they protected that young man and he started to run the ball late dallas look at this 37 passes, only 22 rushing attempts. They're going to have to figure this out. That that man is not Troy Aikman. He's not Troy Aikman, but but here's what I think, and and I think Dak is more overrated than Josh Allen for for the reason I said off the top in terms of in Buffalo, in Buffalo, their fans, that coaching staff, and that franchise – has every reason to still believe, hey, I can win a Super Bowl with Josh Allen as my highest paid player. In Dallas, you have to be sitting there going, this guy at $40 million a year? He can't well, win us a Super Bowl. And, and that makes Dak more overrated. I do think Dak can be Jimmy Garoppolo and that you can get to the Super Bowl with him, be in position to win a Super Bowl like San Francisco was with Jimmy Garoppolo. Things just have to go your way. You, you can't fold up you know, like they did against the Chiefs or whatever. But, but I, I contend that, that I literally thought this last night. At the end of the night, I was like, Dak needs to go into Jerry's office and say, hey, man, let me give back some of this contract. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get down. I mean, this is. Let me get down to about thirty yeah. million a year and take this extra money and go out and make sure I have all the pieces around me so that I can be I can do what Brock Purdy just did. Cause that that is who I'm ta- Purdy, Garoppolo, that's Dak ceiling. Dak's a fourth round quarterback on <clears throat> that can help you get to a Super Bowl. But if he's your highest paid player at $40 million a year, he's a problem for you. He, that's why I, I just think far more overrated than Josh Allen. And Josh Allen has certainly taken a step back uh, in p- terms of perception. But I look at Josh Allen and go, man, I can fix all this. I can correct all this. He's got all the tools. He, he throws a heck of a deep ball. He and <coughs> Stephon Diggs, a hell of a combination. He and the Davis kid. I, I got to play better defense, flip the field, give him a short field to work with from time to time. 
Their defense was awful, and, and I'm just sorry. They haven't had Von Miller for a long time. They should have played better defense than that. <laughs> At home, in the cold, Cincinnati with three backup offensive linemen, and they just <laughs> ram it down your throat and kill you? That's on the defense. I'm not worried about Josh Allen if, if I'm the Buffalo Bills. I'm really worried about Dak Prescott if I'm a Cowboys fan. Well, when it comes to Josh Allen, I think less can be more. Let, let's go back to that one-pass ratio. Cincinnati, 36 pass attempts, 34 rushing attempts, and Mixon was a horse, and they ran the ball for 172 yards. They were able to control the clock and the game. Now, obviously, and, and again, this, this does matter. They fell behind 14-0. Buffalo had 42 pass attempts. They had 19 rushing attempts for 63 yards. And again, the, my biggest issue with Josh Allen is that they make him be Superman instead of just being a point guard at times. And that's going to have to be the next evolution with him uh, under the guidance of Ken Dorsey. As it relates to Dak Prescott and salary, look, Jerry Jones might actually say, Dak, we're going to restructure your contract, which is a very nice way of saying you're getting a pay cut or get out of here. It, it's really that simple. And now the Cowboys have some issues going into this offseason. I mean, Tony Pollard got hurt, and I believe he's a free agent. To me, moving forward, I said this last week, Tony Pollard, when healthy, should be the centerpiece of this offense, where you get him 20 to 25 touches, either rushing the ball or getting him out into the pass game. I don't know what's going to happen here, but the windows in the NFL are so short now with the salary cap. There used to be a five-year window for every team. That's probably now two to three. So don't fool yourselves. Even though Buffalo has a loaded roster every year, you look at the list of free agents teams have, and you're like, wow, this really is going to be a different team. The days of continuity in the National Football League, I believe, are really long gone, especially when you have quarterbacks who are no longer on their rookie contract. You simply cannot develop depth the way you can with a rookie contract. So there are some question marks here. But you would ask me, Steve, if you had to pick one guy to lead your franchise, and who has a higher ceiling? Who do you trust more? Who's better? There's no doubt. Out of those two, it would be Josh Allen. All right, let's move on to another quarterback pairing. Uh, more underrated, Jalen Hurts or mm. Brock Purdy. This isn't about who's uh -huh. better. This is about who's more underrated. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, last guy picked in the draft, and he's obviously he's underrated. But a lot of people haven't given Jalen Hurts I would be in this boat. Uh, maybe enough credit for how good the Philadelphia Eagles have been. I look at their offensive line. I look at that running game uh, and, and give a lot of the credit to that. But who's more underrated, Jalen Hurts or Brock Purdy? Okay, Jalen Hurts might be the MVP. I, I don't think anyone that wins that award is underrated. I, I will say Brock Purdy. And again, yesterday was probably his toughest game. Dallas was very well prepared defensively, and there came a point in that game where they said, okay, we're going to have to get back to our roots and run the ball between the two tackles, go downhill, but there's going to be times when Purdy's going to have to make some tight window throws on third down, and that was impressive the way he was able to move the chains on those short little slants, and then he also had the ability to extend plays where George Kittle makes this amazing catch. Brock Purdy... Um, if he was a high draft choice, the narrative would be different. Chase Sr., who I follow on Twitter, 
uh, made a very good point. If this guy's a top 10 pick, we'd be talking about, wow, this is why they drafted him. Look at the moxie. Look at the poise, the playmaking abilities. But because he's the exact same player that was the last guy drafted, again, the whole perception is, wow, what a gritty, gutty underdog. And he's a Cinderella story. But when you look at what they do within that Shanahan offense with a lot of the eye candy, the orbit motions, the jet sweeps, and then setting up shots, he does that very well. He actually fits their system to a T. Now, I was at Coach JB's house, and he's watching the game. He's been a skeptic of them. But in the fourth quarter, as he kept making one key third down completion after another, Coach actually admitted, you know, this kid has a pretty good feel for the game. So I, I give him credit. And again, because he's the seventh round last draft choice of last year's class, I think just mentally we all think of ourselves that oh, this guy should be nothing more than a backup. Jason, someone needs to t- tell Trey Lance this. Um, get ready to pack your bags. You have a future. It ain't in San Francisco. They have their quarterback. It's number 13. I probably agree with you. He's more underrated, but I'm not sure if he's built to last. I think, and he may carry him to the Super Bowl this year. Hell, may win it. Who who knows? That defense is so good. Shanahan's so good. I'm not sure if you, you got to remember San Francisco, and again, different coaching staff. But Jim Harbaugh was a different version of Kyle Shanahan at one point. Made Alex Smith look awesome. Made Colin Kaepernick look awesome, and now. Uh, here, San Francisco is making uh, Brock Purdy look awesome. But Jason, uh, hold I, on. I, go ahead. Philadelphia, look, and this is not to knock or demean what Jalen Hurts means to that offense. But you ask anyone that has ever coached or played the game or that position, when you can consistently hand the ball off and rip off six to eight yards, it is much easier to play quarterback when it's always second and three or second and two. I mean, seriously, they no do doubt. a great job of scheming, not just around Hurts, but it's just a great system. And a lot of those throws, if you chart Hurts, he's not throwing the ball downfield that often. They do a lot of that uh, bubble screens, stuff that's relatively easy. And then some of those windows that are created by that run game, just the mere threat of that run in the play-action game, it's it's a really well-put-together system by Sirianni. But to the credit of Hurts, when there's a shot to be had, he takes that shot and he capitalizes. So, And again, though, when you talk about who's more underrated, well, one guy's been a starter for a while. This is his second full year, Jalen Hurts as the starter. Brock Purdy's into his, what, seventh and now eighth game. So, again, with the context of that question, I would say who's more underrated? I would still say Purdy. I, I will say this. I've got to make this side note. If I could figure out how to do it, if I could figure out how to do the show Monday from Los Angeles, I need to come out to L.A. because that spread that JB put out ah, over Twitter. Woo. Wow. <laughs> was that as good as it looked? I mean, we're gonna, uh, Justin, just, when, when JB comes on, let's let's find it. He put out a video over Twitter of the spread he laid out. Uh, it looked amazing. Let, let's see if we can find that video before we bring JB on later in the show. But what I mean, was man, that looked amazing. You know how they say Russ, let Russ cook? No, no, no. Let Jason Brown cook. Here's the thing. I don't even <laughs> go for the football. I make the hour drive for the barbecue. 
I'm like, forget the football. I don't, I don't care about football. I can watch. The food is amazing. He puts out a spread. You, you got to see his man cave cigar bar. He could charge people to come in and be a line like Spago's in like 1985. It's amazing. Have a great time there. Smoke a few cigars. He's got a full like, I'm just telling you, the beer is cold. Got all that ice in there. He's got a nice chest. It is a Taj Mahal of football. Then his coaching buddies come out and they play poker. And the way they argue over four and a half hours or whether you run a trap or a counter, it's like football uh, 101. I feel as though I got a, a master's degree in how to watch football as a lame. But the ribs, Jason, we ought to mail you some. We need to FedEx you some of his ribs with nice sauce. Oh, it's great. It's great. Uh, Steve, I'm going to be honest with you. If I can figure out how to do the show from there on Monday, <laughs> I'll be there this Sunday. I'll, but he's got to cook those. He's got to make those ribs. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be there this weekend Coach, if, hey, hey, if I can figure Jason, out how to do the show from there. I'm definitely going there for the Super Bowl, and he already laid out his game plan. He's actually going to smoke some ribs and some meat for 14 hours. He actually has his own smoker in the backyard. Th- th- this man is a barbecuing fiend. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it looks that way. All right, let, let me let, let me get us back on task. More <laughs> impressive this weekend, Patrick Mahomes playing injured or Joe Burrow going on the road at Buffalo and taking apart the Buffalo Ooh. Bills without three offensive linemen. More impressive. You know, that's like the old Ginger or Marianne question. You can't really go wrong, but I'm going to go uh, with Joey Burrow. The big game Burrow, there's something about this guy. To go in there in inclement conditions and make it make it look like you're in a dome stadium and to carve up one of the better rosters in the National Football League and just to be in command. Burrow has that it factor. People really wonder, is that such a thing or is that something a media term that we've all made up? I believe it's real with Joe Burrow. I remember in 2019, he put on one of the five greatest seasons I've ever seen for a college football player. But the games he had at Texas and then certainly at Tuscaloosa against Alabama, I remember watching those games saying, this guy's going to be special. This guy is going to be special. LSU for a decade could not score more than three points against Alabama. He carved them up for like a 49-burger. Couldn't believe it. And it's just carried on. And look, people will say, well, what about the Willis Reed impersonation of Patrick Mahomes? You know what? There's a lot of credit for that. But Joe Burrow came into this game yesterday, Jason, as you mentioned, without three of his starting offensive linemen. That's already an offensive line that didn't have Anthony Munoz or Max Montoya. Let's be honest, okay? It hasn't really quite come together yet. And the command and the poise that he showed for four quarters, look, as much as I think that Josh Allen has an incredibly high ceiling and he's still a guy that I'd like to have as my quarterback. Throughout that game from the first snap, as the game kept moving forward, I said Cincinnati has a very decided advantage at signal caller. I mean, it hurt to say it, but that is the truth. As for Mahomes, I'll say this, him being hobbled, it actually made him a more disciplined quarterback and he had to get rid of the ball nice and early and on time And it showed you that that's why Patrick Mahomes would be a number one guy. That you can even take away his legs and he could still be effective and carve you up. So when all these people say, well, Lamar Jackson, this, this, and that, right. Take away Lamar Jackson's legs, see how effective he is. I hated to go there, but I had to. Just want to get that out. (sighs) 
This is a really tough call. I don't want to just be a Chiefs homer. I was shocked <laughs> at what Joe Burrow was able to do, but, but I was also just like, I'm just not impressed with Buffalo's defense. And so this is no knock. I don't want anybody in Cincinnati mad at me. I made a mistake early in the year going off oh. on the guy after two games. <laughs> I was dead wrong about that. This is, but Patrick Mahomes, man, refusing basically to come out of this game, high ankle sprain, uh, and demanded to come back in and play the second half. I just thought he was tremendous. Uh, I, I was a tiny bit more impressed with Patrick Mahomes than I was Joe Burrow, but that, that's no slight. It's really just a coin toss. You could say either one, and you can defend the decision. I, I want to circle back to one thing, I, and <laughs> I just thought, instead of me coming to L.A., I wonder if I could get you, J.B., Sean Salisbury. Oh. To, where's Sean Salisbury? Where is he based at? Where are he and J.B.? Are they doing that show from different cities? Yeah, I think Sean Salisbury's in Texas somewhere. Gotcha. Last chance Because I, yeah. I want, I, if I get, JB could come here, cook at our studio, <laughs> uh, and, and we could do the show Monday with everybody here in studio. He could do his, I got to figure out a way, because I'm just telling you, looking at what <laughs> JB's cooking, I need to get oh. out there or I need to get him here. I'll bring that up with him uh, later. All right, last one here, just strictly football. Hotter seat, who deserves to be on a hotter seat? Mike McCarthy or Sean McDermott? Well, just naturally being the head coach of America's team, it'll be Mike McCarthy. But I, I will argue this. The man's won a lot of football games, so we can't have it both ways. If we're going to rip Tan Romo as a guy that can't get you over the top, well, then don't put that on Mike McCarthy. And, and, and then last I checked, he's not the one that made the decision to sign off on Dak's contract. That would be Jera. Jerry Jones made that decision. Maybe he should be on the hot seat, but fortunately for him, there's no one above him. So He owns the club. Okay, but you're dodging the fact Sean McDermott's had Josh Allen now. Isn't right. this his fourth season? Right. And, and he, can't, he can't get him to the Super Bowl? He can't? Yeah. They keep coming okay. up? Has he played? Have they played in the AFC Championship game no, yet? they haven't. And last year, he should have squibbed the ball. I'm just when for all those people that say Josh Allen has never had a great game in a big moment, I will push back on that because you're going by the results of that game. But last year's game against KC, Josh Allen did some John Elway like things, and but Patrick Mahomes is Superman, and if they squib the ball, I, I think Buffalo may have actually gone to the Super Bowl. That being said, here's the issue with that of getting rid of coaches and just thinking that's the panacea. Let's go all the way back when we we're much younger. You man, you remember a fine football man by the name of A.O. Bum Phillips? Had the cowboy hat, really funny guy, had some great quips. Good football man. Had a great run with the Houston Oilers. The Love You Blue Oilers led by Earl Campbell. And every year, they were one of the best teams in the league. But there was a steel curtain they couldn't get past. So 78. 79, they lose to the, to the Steelers in the championship game. Then they lose to the Oakland Raiders, who made that uh, wild card Cinderella run. And the Oilers just said, okay, you know what? You're out, Ed. Bums out. Bums out. And I think they got this guy by the name of Ed Bryles. It took that franchise seven, eight years to get back to the playoffs. 
So my, my view is this. You can have your qualms with both McDermott and McCarthy. The question is, are we absolutely positive that this is a situation, and again, I'm drawing a different analogy, that if you bring in Phil Jackson to Kobe and Shaq, that's going to get us over the top. I'm not so sure it's that simple in the National Football League. Too many moving so, parts. I get it, but here's, here's, what, here's where I think Sean McDermott's seat should actually be hotter. Hmm. Is he's a defensive coach right. with a superstar quarterback. So when I and and, and I'm, I'll have to look up. I bet you Sean McDermott's got to be in his mid fifties. And so Cincinnati, Zach Taylor, I believe, is thirty nine years old. Yes, offensive guru falls off the Sean McVay tree, and has Joe Burrow five and one in the postseason, I believe. Uh, go over to uh, San Francisco. I think. Uh, Uh, Kyle Shanahan's 43 years old. Offensive guru. He's got Brock Purdy on the verge of a Super Bowl. Already been to uh, one. Sean McDermott's actually a little younger. He's 48 years old. He's a little younger than I thought. Uh, And then then the other young, oh, Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia. I believe he's 41-ish, I think. Offensive guru has Jalen. In the two Super Bowls. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, and so here's McDermott and Andy Reid, the ultimate offensive guru of offensive gurus every year with Mahomes, Alex Smith, uh, Donovan McNabb, always in contention. So I just, you got to have that offensive guru head coach Hmm. when you have the right quarterback or even in San Francisco when you got the wrong quarterback. That's where I think the seat may get hot around Sean McDermott. He's supposed to be a defensive guru. His defense looked like trash. He and Leslie Frazier look like they don't know what they're doing over there on the defensive side without Von Miller. I'm not not completely sold on on McDermott. So I want want you to hang tight. Don't go anywhere because I'm going to do a fire starter on the other side of this. Uh, that's about DeMar Hamlin, a little bit about Shannon Sharp. I want you to stick with us. Uh, but we're going to take a little short little break. I want to make sure you guys are signing up for the Roll Call event at Rocket Town this April 15th, right here in Nashville, Tennessee. Go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Bearing witness requires courage, not perfection. We're trying to rally up men to inspire them to stand on their beliefs and take this country back and fight against this sick culture we have going on. Stand for truth. And that's what my fire starter is going to be about here in a few seconds. I need you guys to come rally up here with us together. We're going to do some singing. We're going to do some little drinking, a little eating, a little worshiping, praising of God. We're going to socialize and fellowship together and inspire each other. I need you here in Nashville, Tennessee. We got some great entertainment and some events going on, hopefully on Friday as well. The 15th is on Saturday. We're going to have a little special event, we believe, here on Friday for some select few uh, willing that, that want to come be a part of the show and uh, engage with me in a more private setting and some of the contributors. It's going to be a great weekend. Need you showing up, Look, even if you're a woman. Anybody that wants to be a part of that fearless army, Show up. It's going to be a bunch of great guys. You're a lady out there looking for a husband. He may be here. Who knows? 
Uh, if you're, you know, if you're a guy, I can trust me. Nashville's filled with women. You definitely want to be here. Uh, but we're going to inspire you, praise God, do a little worship, a little singing, a little socializing, listen to some music. Want you here. FearlessArmyRollCall.com. Go there right now. Need you here. All right, stay tuned. I'm going to have my fire starter, Steve Kim. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, Before I get to the fire start, I just want to make a quick housekeeping note. Steve and I were a tiny bit wrong. Buffalo played Kansas City in the AFC Championship game in 2020. So apologies to Sean McDermott there. All right, so now I want to clear the deck, clear my throat, clear my palate, and get to this fire starter. We're going to change up, talk about the NFL in a slightly different way. Talk about culture in a slightly different way. The unholy alliance between television and social media has greatly increased the separation between reality and truth. Reality and truth are not the same. Man creates reality. God ordains truth. According to the dictionary, reality is a resemblance to what is real. Television and social media have turned reality hostile to truth. That's why we may never learn the truth about what caused Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin, to collapse on the field. The NFL is a reality TV show dependent on the advertising dollars of Big Pharma and other global corporations. The essence of professional sports is no longer competition. The invariable nature of sports is now programming. It is content designed to hold the attention of viewers long enough to pitch them a product, preferably a pill manufactured to mask symptoms of internal human rot. This is not new. What's new is the level to which programming concerns supersede and diminish the exploration of truth. Sunday afternoon, as CBS broadcasted Buffalo's playoff loss to the Cincinnati Bengals, the network trumpeted the fact that DeMar Hamlin cheered on the Bills from a suite inside Highmark Stadium. On numerous occasions, cameras cut to Hamlin allegedly reacting to the action on the field. I use the word allegedly because the image of Hamlin was so fuzzy behind the glass and snow that it could have easily been an actor wearing a hoodie and gator face mask. Earlier, footage of Hamlin entering the stadium clearly showed his mom and little brother stepping on an elevator, but it was impossible to see Hamlin beneath a hoodie, gator, sunglasses, and a bowed head. Security guards blocked cameras from getting too close to Hamlin. Why the secrecy? I believe Hamlin attended the game and that he was the guy wearing the hoodie and the gator. But I believe his handlers have advised him to follow a carefully crafted script 
a reality script that will allow him to charge maximum dollars for his on-camera interviews. Hamlin is the star of the DeMar Hamlin reality show. He's the subject of a documentary that he and his team are likely producing in real time. They'll auction the documentary and any interviews to the same global corporations and networks that finance the NFL. Hamlin is most valuable over the next year as a mystery, not as a whistleblower or truth teller. The truth about what happened to him on Monday Night Football a month ago is totally irrelevant in comparison to how much money he can earn by telling a story that pleases advertisers. This is the power of television and social media. Separately, they harm truth. Together, they annihilate truth, reducing it to an unrecognizable rubble and a weapon of mass destruction. Television and social media turned Derek Chauvin and George Floyd into a nuclear weapon. Floyd died of a lethal combination of fentanyl, stupidity, non-compliance, and officer-involved indifference. TV and social media demolished those truths and put Chauvin and America on trial for white supremacy. I don't make that analogy to accuse Hamlin of doing something wrong. I'm pointing it out so that we can deal with the time we're living in. We're living in an era where truth has no value. We prefer entertaining lies over uncomfortable truths. We canonize actors and performers disguised as influencers and then wonder why we're running dangerously low on leaders, builders, and reverence of truth. So CBS played along with the DeMar Hamlin mystery on Sunday. Every network is playing along because every network is bidding for Hamlin's first, second, and third interviews. Will he sit down with Oprah Winfrey? Or will Michael Strahan land Hamlin on Good Morning America? Or maybe Fox Sports backs up a Brinks truck for Tom Brady to interview Hamlin during Super Bowl coverage. No one wants to upset Hamlin, his handlers, or Big Pharma by pursuing the truth behind his on-field collapse. Maybe it was the routine football hit that did it. Maybe it's a consequence of the vaccine. I'll never trust any explanation because the explanation will come with a purchase price we will never know. We live in a post-truth world where actors and performers acquire wealth, fame, and privilege for the dishonest roles they play that resemble what is real. This dishonesty has overtaken professional sports, turning football and basketball into the WWE. Friday night, Shannon Sharp played the role of Uncle Shay Shay at the Lakers game. The co-host of a televised sports talk show, the Hall of Fame NFL legend pretends to be a LeBron James groupie opposite his co-host Skip Bayless, a LeBron critic. Uncle Shay Shay picked a fight with members of the Memphis Grizzlies, briefly halting the game. Security escorted Uncle Shay Shay from his courtside seats. The whole thing looked like the WWE. Take a look for yourself. Your courtside at the Crypto.com Arena. Dylan Brooks was having words with Shannon Sharp, and Hall of Famer and broadcast. And you see Stephen Adams comes over 
to protect his guy along with the supporting cast. And then Shannon Sharp still talking. And T. Morant, John Morant's dad, comes over. Had an opportunity to talk to T. Morant. And he said, my, high, my blood pressure didn't go up a bit. Nothing but love and respect for Shannon Sharp. It's a bunch of guys talking a bunch of trash. Sharp and his crochet sweater returned in the third quarter. He reconciled with the father of Memphis star, Ja Morant. Sharp bragged to an ESPN reporter, Dave McKinnon, they didn't want this smoke. They do all that talking and jockeying. I ain't about that jockeying. You don't want these problems, but I wanted anything they had. Don't let these fools fool you now. Sharp has fully embraced his TV and social media character. He's on stage performing 24-7. So is his partner, Bayless. Sunday night, after the Cowboys lost, Bayless filmed himself tossing a Dak Prescott jersey into the trash. This is how people behave in a post-truth world. Every human emotion and engagement is content to be exploited. DeMar Hamlin nearly died on a football field. It didn't take long for handlers to turn that tragedy into a potential reality payday. Man creates reality. God ordains truth. In the world we've created, Aretha Franklin's classic song, Natural Woman, is offensive and objectionable. Our bizarre world makes me think of a Gladys Knight classic, Midnight Train to Georgia. I'd rather live in God's world than live without him in mine. That's my fire starter. I want to add that Monday morning, Shannon Sharp uh, opened his undisputed TV show, uh, shocking me and probably all of his viewers with a classy and what seemed to be authentic apology. Let's play Shannon Sharp. It's about three minutes, but it's worth watching the entire thing. Let's play Shannon Sharp's apology and then we'll turn to Steve Kim. As you probably have heard or have seen Friday night um, at the Lakers game, I want to apologize for my behavior. Um, you know, guys, I've preached for the last six and a half years, responsibility and accountability. And I take full responsibility for what transpired. It does not matter what Dylan Brooks said or how many times he said it. Me being the responsible person, me having the platform that I have and having so many people look up to me, I was wrong. I should have lowered the temperature in the arena. Instead, I turned the temperature up and I let it get out of hand. And I want to apologize to a few people. First of all, I want to apologize to the Lakers organization, Jeannie Buzz, the Buzz family. I apologize for any harm or unwanted attention that I brought to your organization. I want to apologize to the fans that were in attendance and the fans that watched on television because that's not what you paid for and that's not what you tuned in to watch. Shannon Sharp should have been mentioned as, a, as someone that was at the game, not someone that let his emotions run high and get out of hand during the game. I want to apologize to the Memphis Grizzlies. Grizzlies uh, organization and fans, I am sorry. More specifically, I want to apologize to Dylan Brooks. He is a fierce competitor, and seeing him up close, I get a sense of why he is what he is and how he's wired the way he's wired. Bruh, I apologize. I wish you the best of luck the, uh, the rest of the season and continued success. Ja, 
It was a privilege and an honor to watch you up close and personal. Skip and I talk about you a lot of times, but to see what you do, the way you're able to elevate, lead the floor, contort your body, and finish at the rim is, is, is unbelievable and, and extremely impressive. And I want to apologize to you. I also want to apologize to my stylist, Hollywood. Bro, you had an impeccable record before you took me on as a client. And I want to apologize for my behavior because you were in attendance. And if I caused any smudge on your resume, I'm deeply sorry for that. I also want to apologize to LeBron James because y'all know how I feel about him. And he supported me through thick and thin. And bro, I'm sorry that I put you in this situation, that you had to support me in something like this. So I want to apologize to you. I want to apologize to my family. I want to apologize to my brother, my sister, my mom, my kids, and my grandson. Because one day you're going to be old enough and you're going to see what transpired in that arena. But I also hope you get an opportunity to see this, this apology that I'm giving because I was wrong. And I'm never going to be too big to say I'm sorry. I'm never going to be too big to say that I was wrong. And in that situation, I was absolutely wrong. And last but not least, I want to apologize to you, Turbo. You've been great to me. I appreciate everything that you've done over the last eight, nine months. I want to say I'm sorry. Again, to my Fox family, FS1, guys, I'm sorry for any unwanted attention that I brought your way. And I, ha I hate that you have to answer. No one should have to trend because of something that I did. So I want to apologize to anybody at Fox or FS1 that's had to answer questions on my behalf. What happened to Shannon? Why was Shannon doing this? I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm not perfect. I am not. And I'm never going to say that wasn't Shannon Sharp because that was me. That was just me getting out of character. And I'm sorry for all those that saw my action and took offense to my actions. I am sorry. Steve. I got to say, I used to know that version of Shannon Sharp and had a lot of respect for that version of Shannon Sharp. Steve, I thought that apology was outstanding. I don't care if it came with a gun to his head. It was an outstanding apology. I, I do think there was a gun to his head to some degree. I'm, someone over at Fox told him, like, hey, man, this is completely out of line. And if you don't clean this up, we're done with you. That, that's Total speculation on my part, but it's a tremendous apology. I, I, I can't find fault with it. Yeah, I mean, I guess Captain Crochet nailed it, but, but I'll give him credit. That's the most entertainment value I've gotten out of any Laker game this year. Honestly. <laughs> Let's be most of the country wouldn't have given two cents about that till that happened. And you know what? I, I'm going to give Shannon some credit. What did Tammy Wynette once said, stand by your man? You know, I really hope that fans of Fearless are as fiercely as loyal to our show as Shannon Sharp is to LeBron James. I mean, I get being a fan, but you really think I would fight over this stuff? I just find it interesting that what took place, and it got me to be thinking the last time or when I really did care about the association. That kind of reminded me of, like, uh, Spike Lee on steroids or something, literally, I guess. But uh, could you imagine any fan, whether they are a well-known athlete or a celebrity, talking that type of stuff to the old bad boys of Detroit or, or even more, the early 90s Knicks and actually getting away with it? And I thought one of the funniest things is talk about having priorities out of order. And you counterpunched beautifully to Kendrick Perkins like you were Sweet Pea Whitaker. When Kendrick Perkins says, I can't believe the the outrage of, of Dylan Brooks just calling Shannon Sharp a role player or something. And you said, 
Yeah, that's a blogger. A blogger. Uh, yeah, a blogger. Yeah, that's the whole issue, Ken. Not anything else. That's the issue. This is where celebrity worship has completely turned our world upside down. I have nothing against Shannon Sharp. I've never met him. I admired him as a player. He's still on my tight end, Mount Rushmore. Although Travis Kelsey may move his crochet sweater out of there real soon. Let's just be honest about it. But he should have been immediately removed from the game and his privileges to the crypto.com arena or whatever they're calling it revoked. If any other fan acted in that manner. And by the way, the irony of irony is Shannon Sharp talked about it on the show about how fans are unruly and disrespectful to players. Huh. How did that age? The other last thing I have on this thing is when you go to any event, specifically a sporting event, and I've been there a lot, we've all seen fights, whether it's a baseball game, football game, NFL, specifically at boxing. Sometimes you get unscheduled walkout bouts. It's the greatest thing in the world. But they generally happen in the Raptors or the Chiefs seats. So basically, if you're on press road, Jay, you know this. When a fight breaks out, our general reaction is to turn our neck, right? We turn our neck towards the upper deck. We never actually go right across. Oh, what's going on in front of us? There was a fight about two weeks ago in Washington, D.C. with Gervonta Tank Davis and Hector Luis Garcia. Pretty good fight going into the eighth round. All of a sudden, something broke out, literally camera side, right near the ring, which I have never seen in all my years of covering the sport. And Tank Davis and both fighters and Garcia looked over, oh, God, and they literally stopped the fight. And it turned out it was Meek Mill getting into it with Gary Russell's family, a fighting family out of D.C. And then Steven Jackson, his wife almost got trampled, and Stephen A., uh, Stephen almost set it off and all that other stuff. Uh, it's really an interesting dynamic that now the altercations with fans are now taking place where the rich folks are. Never thought I'd see it. And, Steve, that can all be explained by sports has gone, gotten completely in bed with rap music. And so now mm. it's starting to look like the rap music world at these sporting events. And so where did Tupac, where, where, when he got shot and killed, that started at a boxing, that started at a Tyson fight, Selden, brawl in Mike the Tyson. lobby. Yep. Yeah, brawl <laughs> in the lobby. Again, they, they, they've so embraced and wedded themselves to hip hop, Meek Mill, and it's this whole rap mentality, this whole gang mentality. And so when Shannon Sharp was originally, his behavior and what he said to Dave McMinnon from ESPN, he sounded like a rapper thug. They don't want this smoke, they blah, blah, blah. Uh, they don't want these problems, blah, blah, blah. And he's demanding a guy come over here and say it to my face and all that. They've turned the front row. The NBA loves to celebrate whatever uh, thug rapper is at the game. And now, no surprise, Shannon Sharp has patterned his whole shtick after the rap deal. And, and Steven Jackson, Meek Mill, Meek Mill is a rapper. Steven Jackson was a, is a rapper as well, not just a former basketball player. And really? Yes. Oh, huh. oh yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, not a bad one either in, in terms really? of the gangster rap deal. He's actually one of the huh. few athletes that actually could really? rap. And so huh. that, that's all you're seeing is their embrace of rap culture is now affecting the off the court and the behavior of the players on the court. LeBron James sounded like a rapper after the game. I ride with Shannon Sharp. Instead of saying, hey man, 
Shannon Sharp's here at the game and he's overshadowing us on the court and his behavior. And and I just don't see this as the same as Spike Lee and Reggie Miller. Yeah. That, that good natured. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That good. And they knew each other, by complete, the way. Yeah. Yeah. They knew each this other. is completely <laughs> different. And so I was glad Shannon apologized. Yeah. He needed to. But we spent this entire weekend with people like Kendrick Perkins and everybody else caping up for Shannon and pointing fingers every other direction than at the person who's primarily responsible. And Shannon Sharp, I think, over his social media over the weekend, he wasn't backing down initially. Uh, someone finally talked some sense into him. It's no different. It's like Jawan Howard it, over the Michigan coach that, that slapped the opposing coach. And yeah. it took him a week to figure out that he did something wrong. So at least Shannon figured it out in a couple of days. Jason, um, this reminds me of 2006. Floyd Mayweather fights Zab Judah at the Thomas and Mack Center. Okay, so fight's going on, and there's a lot of rappers in the audience. First 10 rows. It's a different audience than, let's say, a Manny Pacquiao fight. So 10th, 11th round comes, and Zab Judah's kind of fading in the fight, and he just absolutely blasts Floyd Mayweather low. I'm talking low blow. And a, a melee almost breaks out because Roger Mayweather nearly jumps into the ring. And all of a sudden, it got really heated around ringside. So I'm doing the ringside report. I was at uh, Max Boxing, and I wrote a column. And I said, in the 10th round, as this, this, and this happened, the Source Awards almost broke out here at the Thomas and Mac Arena. So some angry young lad uh, writes me an email, how dare you say such a thing, man? You know, this, this, and that. the kind of t-. And I said, look, look, dear sir, here's what I'm going to do. At the next Country Music Western Awards, when Kenny Chesney and his posse jumps uh, Kenny Rogers, I'm going to lead with that, and I'm going to use that as the headline. We have a deal. Never heard back from the guy. It was really strange. But, that, but, but yeah, it, it was interesting what took place, but uh, uh, I'll probably go back to not caring about any Lakers game for another few months <laughs> after this Friday. Steve, <laughs> let, me, let me end on this note. Do you have a thought <laughs> on the way CBS – covering okay, DeMar Hamlin and 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 whether or not th- this whole mystery around he's wearing a gator to cover up his face he's wearing a hoodie to cover up his face I have my theory I think he's trying to protect his value remain a mystery your thoughts I don't want to go as to say that there was a faux Hamlin however in a situation like that where the Buffalo Bills have talked about what an inspiration he is and this was a an emotional driver Right, it's going to be this feel-good story. Two things that stood out in terms of what they didn't do. You're telling me CBS couldn't get a two-minute interview where they send Tracy Wolfson up to say, "Hey, Demar, how are you feeling? And what are what are you feeling right now physically? And what message would you like to send to the great people of America that have supported you and the community of Buffalo?" Garden variety doesn't have to get any further than that. Let's do a quick 90-second, two-minute interview. Then we send it back down to the coverage or. And we've seen this before, Jason. Situation like this happens. Why not bring him out and have have him do the coin toss or make him one of the captains to say, hey, there's DeMar Hamlin. He's doing well, and then he gets to watch the game back up in the box. They've done that before many other times in situations that are somewhat similar. The fact he was just kind of, I don't say hidden, but sequestered up there, like yourself, I, I did find that odd. What conclusion did you draw? My conclusion is it's he and his handler's decision. They want 
they're trying to protect the value of his interviews and any content that they put out. This is, and I'm, I'm not even bashing them. I'm just saying this is the world we live in that he's about to auction himself off and it's all about the bag and it will never be about anybody getting to find out well, what caused this collapse? Was it the hit? Was it something else? What if doctors took, Pfizer, Big Pharma is gonna decide what the truth is on that and the television networks and DeMar Hamlin are gonna accept the check and keep it moving for selling whatever story fits the advertisers. Right, and, and look, I, I, one of the questions I would have asked if there was an opportunity to talk to him is, DeMar, what is your future in football? Have you thought about it? And do you believe that you'll play again? And, and whether, and I think that's key, because I'll tell you why, Jason, if you really believe they're gonna go on a media a campaign to really push the Hamlin brand post-football, he would be better off at this point not playing um, and then retiring and getting into the next chapter of his life as a motivational speaker and being a spokesperson for various, uh, you know, um, companies that try to help people. Because obviously that was something that he was interested before we knew even who he was. So I I do think they're going to try to capitalize on it. He wouldn't be the first. I don't think they're going to necessarily exploit it. It is their story. He went through it. But did it feel like there was a bit of a controlled message and narrative as it related to Hamlin yesterday and the game? Yes. Now, what the overall big picture play is, I don't know because we have a way of moving on, though. As much as we cared for DeMar Hamlin for about a week, and we should always perhaps care about his uh, safety and his health, by, by the time the games actually kick off, let's just be honest. We're not thinking about DeMar Hamlin. We are thinking about the game. So Hamlin and his people, his representatives, have to realize everyone gets their 15 minutes, as Andy Warhol said, and you have to strike while the iron is hot. And I don't know if they did that by just sequestering him as they did for much of that game yesterday. Thank you, Steve. Going to keep it moving. I'll bring on Royce White, get his thoughts. Uh, you can email me and us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Royce White, next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's go out to Minneapolis, bring in Morpheus, the deepest, most intelligent man on the show. I, I, can't, I, I can't wait to hear Royce's take on what I've tried to unpack uh, in my Firestarter today and Mono today. I, I'm trying to unpack, and I think I did, I hope that I did, that this whole reality social media, TV world that we've moved into is really an assault on truth. That reality 
resembles what is real. The truth is something that God ordains, ordained. It's completely different from reality. Man creates reality and, and man plays games with the truth to create a reality. And it, it just, this whole thing with DeMar Hamlin and, and what we're seeing and how we're not ever gonna get to a truth, in my opinion, about what happened to DeMar Hamlin on the football field is an example of, of just how corroded our reverence for truth has been. We don't care. We'd rather hear entertaining lies than uncomfortable truths. And so when I wrote this this morning, I immediately thought of Royce because I'm like, you know, what I'm really saying is what Royce has been trying to tell us virtually every day on the show is like, y'all going to get all caught up in the distractions and Shannon Sharp and whatever the little psyops they're running with all these people that are paid to distract us from uncomfortable truths. And so I, the whole scenario just reminded me of you, Royce, and that's why I wanted to have you on the show. And hopefully, I think I've laid out some things for you to expound upon. Well, I, I love where you're going with it. I mean, I, I love the growth of the show in the, in the most general sense, and, and I'm always happy to uh, be with you on the show and, and continue to try and force people to think deeper. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the two baseline the two baseline fundamental strategies of the establishment is to delegitimize God and keep people distracted from the the problems that delegitimizing God takes in their in their everyday life. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, when we talked about Catholicism versus Protestantism a, a little bit last time, but and, and I we've been getting into it a little bit over the course of the show. But I think there's some Catholic philosophical theologian hitters that have already squared this, right? Like St. Thomas Aquinas squared this already. He squared Aristotelian metaphysics or philosophy with the Judeo-Christian uh, tribal faith. Uh, and, and what he came up with was the logos and that God is the logos. God is truth. God is a fundamental truth. There is a, there is a, there is a universal truth. And that universal truth is God, and it is God's grace, and it's the, the order of all of creation's um, direction back towards the glory of God, right? So these things have been squared, and, and what's really ironic is that this sort of technocratic scientific community that now wants to be fully immersed in a secular uh, sort of worldview and, 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 you know, way of life uh, pretends that they can come to some type of moral clarity— without God, without faith. And the, the funny part is, even if you, by some long stretch of the imagination, come to a moral clarity without an explicit Christian faith, it still ends up being Christianity just without the reverence, right? I mean, all the, th and this is where, this is where the establishment and the, and the reality about propaganda, which you're pointing to with television, the reality about propaganda is it's not just straight lies. It's lies. It's it's half truth and it's and it's the truth taken out of context. And that's that's what you mean by reality, reality TV. 
And so, you know, when your Noah Yuval Hararis come on and they talk about equality or they talk about human dignity or they talk about any number of buzz topics, these are not ideas that came by on their own. These are ideas that they've taken, they've learned, because Noah is a Jew, so he learned it from a Judeo tradition, uh, morally, ethically, philosophically, and then he takes it and warps it and acts like it's his own, it's his own work. I mean, the whole modern edifice of neoliberalism and wokeism is plagiarizing Christianity. It's plagiarizing all of the Judeo-Christian faith and, and, and traditions, uh, and they act like it's their own. But what they're doing is they're trying to, they're trying to break a, a significant connection between human beings and God. And, and, and God is necessary to have discernment about what is actually true. That's epistemology, right? That's that's epistemological. What is true? How do you find the truth? How do you discern what is true and what is not? Uh, these are all things that Christians sorted out philosophically a long time ago. And now we're we're rewiring the entire society for one main purpose. If you don't have an identity, it's very easy to give you an identity. If you don't understand how to find the truth, it's very easy to corrupt your view of the truth. And that that pays huge dividends for a, an establishment that would like to see everybody willingly embrace their slavery and their eternal damnation. All right. So I, I'm going to and I did it in my Firestarter in my column. I'm going to take it to a topic that we both you, you are invested in in different ways. And we've had some disagreements and back and forth on this. But but. It's one of the reasons why I do this show and, and left corporate media is because there's a depth you have to go to to get towards truth. Yeah. And it, it, it's why I don't like to have Royce on unless I know I got 30 minutes. You know, you can't reduce Royce to a five minute segment. I can't, you know, I do it. I go on television shows where I'm only getting four minutes or whatever. You just give them a sound bite or whatever. But all of that is really a system geared towards not getting to the truth because the truth is very nuanced. It's very complicated. And so I say all that to say George Floyd, Derek Chauvin, the mm -hmm. truth about that situation, our current system of television and social media. George Floyd probably happened when Twitter was 140 characters. It's now 280 characters. That's still no depth. That's a very shallow conversation. That's why I criticize anybody. You're looking for truth on Twitter? Really? You think you can find truth on Twitter at 140 and 280 characters a pop? Good luck. Can't find it on TV, really. And, and again, I'm not disrespecting anybody's show but you can't unearth truth in five minute segments. And that's why at one point on this show, I, I went through this whole explanation like, Phil Donahue used to have a talk show that discussed real issues and they yeah. devote a whole hour to a single topic. And then yeah. they might come back the next day and do another hour on that same topic. Yeah. I'm not saying they got to truth, but they got to a deeper truth than what we're allowed to today. I say in my deal today, look, man, George Floyd and this, the media is not built to unpack what happened to George Floyd and, and leave 
all of us in a better position to understand and have peace with each other, to understand that fentanyl played a role in killing George Floyd, his noncompliance played a role in killing George Floyd, mm -hmm. uh, his ignorance played a role in killing George Floyd, and Derek Chauvin's indifference played a role in killing George Floyd. What social media and TV does, white supremacy killed George Floyd, end of story. Now, yeah. go deal with that, America. Go, go burn each other's buildings down. Go, go hate each other. Uh, we, we don't have time, and we'll see you tomorrow when we're talking about something else. Uh, we don't have time. We don't have an interest in telling you the truth about what happened. We're gonna give you this little tiny, provocative explanation and then we're going to cover you guys fighting over it. Let me say it this way. Um, intentionally done by design, absolutely. Uh, and a choice that is constantly made on an ongoing basis by the media. They are completely capable of covering the George Floyd story, George Floyd story with some nuance and clarity and depth. They choose not to. And they blame it on a commercial advertising, you know, formula or structure or what have you. Uh, I say BS. Th they could, they could, can, they could create a model where they got to the heart of matters. It's not in their interest to get to the heart of matters. The 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 heart of matters is a truth that would ultimately have your everyday person, free person, shake off the chains of tyranny that have grown and, and fostered from around the world. And, you know, when it comes to George Floyd and having three years to reflect back on on the situation and my role in it being here, you know, be it here in my hometown. I come to this conclusion. Uh, America killed George Floyd. This this country killed George Floyd. And every you know, we're in a constant philosophical struggle about individualism versus collectivism. And again, our, our scientific, our love of science has distracted us from what the Bible clearly states about the balance between individualism and collectivism. Do I have a debt to pay with God? Do I have an individual ledger with God about sin? Absolutely. But am I my brother's keeper? Right. Should I love my enemy? Right. So, so there's a duality even in our own Christian faith that we struggle to be able to to parse out when it comes to um matters of, of modern society and, and how to look at matters, how to, how to find the, the truth in matters in modern society through a Christian lens. America killed George Floyd. And this is why Steve and I can come to an agreement about George Floyd, even though at the time it would have seemed, Steve Bannon, um, that we were on opposite sides of that argument. Because when you look at the totality of circumstance in his life and you draw back the lens wide enough to see the countless numbers of feckless and corrupt institutions that play a primary role in that circumstance. We see the broader picture about what really faces many Americans. And yes, the establishment is going to take a, a light and shine it on this one situation for their own gain, for their own narrative, for their own profitability. But the, the greater circumstance still exists. Fentanyl is flooding this country in an asymmetrical war where our elites in D.C. have sold out the public health of our people for an economic trade relationship with uh, oligarchy.
that they admire. That's the truth. Okay, China is sending us fentanyl as a payback from an opium war where we did it to them first. And Biden and Pelosi and McConnell and 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 McCarthy and uh, Elon Musk and, and a bunch of other people, they all know it. They all know that the fentanyl is not by accident. They know they know the history. They know that this is a cycle of an opium war because the Chinese don't forget. They fought a 5,000 year civil war. And now what happened at the end, what's come out of it is, is, a, a, is, a, is a genuine hegemony of the Chinese people and the CCP. The Chinese people and the CCP have a great deal. The deal is as long as we can live the way we, we want to live and you stay out of our business, you can do what you want to do by any means. Do what you want to do on the world stage. They're out of it. And when you see stuff pop up in Shanghai and Hong Kong and other places, those are little sects of a huge Chinese population that have a greater understanding of the, of the circumstance and morality. And I say that to say this, how the, that, this is why when, this is why I had the intuition to go out and protest for George Floyd in the first place. What about police brutality? It had nothing to do with police brutality because there's any number of situations where the police are completely uh, out of hand and, and out of control, like the FBI, like the CIA, like the DOD, like any number of, of law enforcement, you know, national security organizations, the police are just the lowest rung. There's any number of those situations that, that we could and maybe should protest about. I knew that George Floyd was going to be used as the linchpin of a narrative of a political transition at a time where there was supposed to be uh, um, uh, there was supposed to be a focus on economy, on COVID, on the scope of governance, on the Federal Reserve, on the importance of sports, on the importance of rap music, on the drug situation, all these other things that were now going to be whittled down to this very, very small story. And I'm not saying it's a small story when a man loses his life, especially in that way, because it's tragic and it's unfortunate. And, and, and I believe Derek Chauvin was wrong. And I believe that the Minneapolis Police Department, by and large, has a long way to go, as do many police departments. But the way the liberal establishment wanted to use that story, I wasn't going to allow so far as I could help it. And that was my participation in George Floyd. That's why I marched 15,000 pink and purple haired liberals to the Federal Reserve. And I said, this is the doorstep of tyranny. Stay away from the police precinct. That's a scam. That's a cover story. That's, that's a look away. The Fed is still printing money for Wall Street to give to China. Understand what I'm saying. The Fed, which is a stone's throw from the first precinct in Minneapolis, at the very moment when the protests were happening, the Fed was still managing monetary policy intended to give Wall Street passes for money lost so that they could transfer wealth from this country's average citizens, not the wealthy, our average everyday citizens who pay taxes, transfer wealth to China. Why are we even talking about George Floyd? <laughs> Is, it was my point. And if we're going to talk about George Floyd, fine. That's fine. Am I a Roman citizen? Should he have had a day in court? Yes. Do I believe fentanyl played a, a huge role in his overall, you know, outcome that day? No, I don't. But, but I've been in fights before, see? 
You know, and, and this is another this is the other side of the coin, Jason. And I don't mean to ramble on, but I'm, I'm trying to tie this together for people. Hopefully they'll they'll bear with me. The counter narrative has become just as. Just as. Not uh, has become just as. Unuseful as their narrative, the counter narrative is a part of the, the, the distraction. Right. So the counter narrative became fentanyl. It became the knee was on his back, not his neck. And, and every time I hear that, I know it's people who've never been in a fight. Right. Because when I'm on the mats with other heavyweights, I could have my chest facing the sky. And if a man puts enough pressure and wrestlers know how to do this well, but so do cops. If a man puts enough pressure down on my solar plex, he could create the the real physical phenomenon of not being able to draw enough oxygen. And I'm talking about in 20 seconds, less, 15, 10. It's like, it's like being at the bottom of a pile when you're a kid at a birthday party and like five kids jump on you and you'll hear that that kid can really not breathe because he'll scream and he'll, ah, get off of me, right? It, it's, a, it's a real sensation that you can't breathe because you really can't breathe. And I only say that to say this. At a moment when the police are demonstrating that they are either A, have been poorly trained to a negligible degree, or that they actually are tyrannical and walk around with this air of superiority about their interactions with citizens that is not is not comparable with the idea of America, where were all the Republicans and conservatives on that matter? Even if it wasn't to side with George Floyd and BLM, where was their message why didn't they have a counter message about that issue? Why did they cuck and join in with the police? Only to, 12 months later, have to renege on that position because of the vaccine mandates. See, there's some of us who really believe in God and have that faith so strong that our discernment for the truth has gravity to it, real gravity, like Aquinas gravity. And I'm not saying I'm one of those people, but I strive to be one of those people. So from the word go, I saw both sides of the narrative that were, to, were going to converge into a corrupt and ineffective, not useful product. And that's what it was. And, and again, much of my criticism coming on the show has been how the conservative movement has served in so many ways as the controlled opposition. And I know you talked about it with the whole Daily Wire and, and Steven Crowder uh, debacle and big tech. But it's the same thing with the police. Who do the who do we think are going to carry out the totalitarian authoritarian orders when it comes to pass? Do you think the sheriffs are going to uphold their oath against the feder- the, the the grandiosity and the breadth of the federal government as it stands today? No. It's going to take a real cultural shift in movement to bring law enforcement, everyday cops who are more associated with the working class than any elites just like the basketball players who come from low-class communities, but they get Bugatti, so now they're elites, but really they're not because their mama still lives in the projects. It's going to take a cultural shift for those people to step up and be who they need to be to win the war we need to win. But that hasn't happened yet, and all of these stories are a sign that it hasn't happened yet. I, 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 to, to bring us back, and not that you've strayed anywhere I'm uncomfortable, but... My point would be the cultural revolution you're looking for 
is going to have to be a reverence for truth again and 100%. not the acceptance of man-made reality. And, and they've packaged up reality as truth, and it's not. Reality yes. is created by man, and that's why some, some man thinks he's a woman, and now the song Natural Woman is objectionable. Aretha Franklin's Natural Woman, it's now objectionable, and it's offensive. And that, that's some kind of man-made reality that's hostile to truth. That, that, and so if we don't have a reverence for truth, once you have a reverence for truth, and then you have an understanding of how you get there, you don't want to reduce Royce White to a 60-second soundbite. You, yeah. you don't want to have a 15-minute segment trying to understand some complicated issue. And, and, and you're, you're looking at a system where Big Pharma is allowed to control television in America, and you yeah. recognize, like, well, hold on, man, that, that's antithetical to truth. We, if Big Pharma's in control of television, you just turn television into a propaganda tool and machine. And, and social media is a propaganda machine. And so, it, it, and, and reverence for truth and this is where atheists find it a hard time to follow this. And, and I'm talking about conservative atheists or mm -hmm. uh, Christians that don't have a real passion. It's just like that Christianity mm -hmm. is just their insurance policy, not yeah, their sincere belief. Christians. Yeah, 501c3 Christians. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not their sincere belief. And there's a lot of them. Most Christians are this way. Most, and I, I would, 95%, it's just not sincere. It's an insurance policy. And, that, and when they, that's why they bend. I mean, things that have been decided clear as day in the Bible, they'll bend on all of it. Out of be, oh, well, that, that contradicts my political position and my standing with liberals and whatever, and, or whatever it is. But I, I just, if we don't, have a reverence for truth, there's no way to fix this culture. And if we continue to allow reality to stand as, as truth, we're never gonna fix what's wrong with America because uh, Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and whoever, whoever owns Google, they control what you perceive as reality, a, a resemblance of what's real. And, <laughs> and the truth yeah. is just so unvarnished and it's been published in a way that we should, you know, if we could get back to that, then we have a shot. And, and, and I, don't mean to, I don't mean to ramble um, and, and I apologize if, if I am. Nope, you're good. But, but, but these things, these things are quite personal to me. And the reason is I experienced it up close and I know you have too, but, but I experienced it right up close in, in the dichotomy between what the everyday people who you've built relationships with over the course of your lifetime or have come into contact with and what the machine has to say and the gap of truth in between. I experienced it firsthand. And, and I want to draw people all the way back to the beginning of my arrival on the public stage. I said that mental health is the greatest social issue we face 
that the human condition and the way the corporate global corporate community feels about the human condition speaks volumes about where we are today and where we'll be in the future. I, I said that that was the entire basis of my fight with the NBA. But what I watched was people, everyday working class people, let the elites tell them that I'm their enemy, that because I play a game for a living and make a, a, a dis, disproportionate salary compared to the average citizen, that I'm just a diva, that I'm just creating a story to to try and distract people from the fact that I don't want to work hard or maybe I really don't want to play basketball or maybe I really don't want to have to get on an airplane. And all of this is just a distraction. All of my all of my advocacy for mental health policy or prioritization of the human psychology or philosophy or corporate ethics. It's all just a, it's all just a scam that I ran on the Houston Rockets. Look where we are today. Look where we are 10 years later. I mean, could it be any more prophetic? And I'm not I'm not tooting my own horn because this is the trajectory of many people who try and speak that truth that you're talking about. And my my real impetus, let me go a level deeper. The real impetus around the mental health fight had nothing to do with policies for NBA players. What I was saying was the ills of the society come from an unwillingness to look in the mirror. Mental health is the one issue that forces you to look in the mirror. That's why they didn't want to deal with it. That's why they didn't want to create a policy. That's why they didn't want to have any real concrete public conversation about mental health. Because the NBA and all of its corporate partners and all of the players and all of the coaches and most importantly, all of the fans that are even watching this show today struggle to look in the mirror. That's the issue. Our political dichotomy of left and right, the way our government has been able to behave, the way corporate, global corporate communities, uh, corporations have been able to exploit us, is reflective of our own corrupt will. It's not them. It's us. It's not big media. It's not big tech. It's not Davos. It's not, it's not the globalists. It's not the CCP. It's us. We don't want to have to change. We don't want to have to look in the mirror and have and clarify our will through God and Christ and shake this corruption and wickedness off. Because if we did, there'd be no way for them to maintain it. There would be no way. What? I think you're a thousand percent accurate. I, I don't want to sound like I'm defending athletes, but, but I am. They're young. Many of them come from nothing. And, and they instinctively think, <laughs> how could I be getting all this money if God wasn't on my side, if I wasn't doing the right thing? The, the, and, and, but, but, and so they're puppet masters, the agents that get attached to them instantly, the, yep. the organizations and franchises that provide them that wealth, they don't want the athletes looking in the mirror and reflecting. Because again, any, they don't want them connected to God because once you connect to God, God is going to make you deal with yourself. Yeah. That, that's, regardless, I, I don't, 
know fully who Kyrie is worshiping and what religion, but, but he's been forced by embracing some form of religion to go examine Kyrie Irving. That's what yeah. religion does. And that's yeah. why the NBA is very secular and the NFL is very secular. Because they don't, if, if the athletes with the wealth that they've be, been given, if they start looking at themselves, they'll start making different decisions and they'll be a lot harder to control and to use as useful idiots. And so that's why it's the first time I fully understood where you're coming from on this mental health issue and which basically you were calling for athletes. Hey, NBA, put a system in place where athletes actually grow and evolve and evaluate themselves and become better people. They're like, hell no. We're giving these guys millions of dollars. They become better people. They, they won't be comfortable with what we got them doing. But, but wait a second. Because I'm as anti-establishment as they come. I mean, I could get anti-establishment written on, tattooed on my neck and I'd be perfectly comfortable with it, right? I'm that anti-establishment because I see the breadth of corruption. But it's not the establishment that does. The establishment is brokering the 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 stunting of athletes and many other people's growth at the behest of the wide body populace we at home don't want the athletes to look in the mirror because then we wouldn't be able to jerk off and get the distraction we need to justify not revolting that's the truth the truth is that the athletes could not make 40 million. Ben Simmons could not make 37 million this year, 40 million this next year, 41 million a year after that, unless the fans at home are willing to jerk off. And in order for that whole scam to run the way they want it to run without any confrontation or reflection on the reality or circumstance of our society, Ben Simmons can't grow up. So is it even really on the athlete? Because the athlete is the product who's sitting there going, Hey, all you guys want to jerk off? I'm just, sir. I'm just. These are just services, services rendered. <laughs> I'm just here for you guys' entertainment, right? So it 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 puts a very, it puts a it puts athletes who do step out of that in a very rarefied air. But but as 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 far as athletes go in general, or any public figure, any celebrity, comedians, actors, musicians, but all these people who we pay with our attention and our dollars to jerk off and distract ourselves? What moral culpability can we really put on them? It's not them. It's not Kim Kardashian. It's, a, it's, a, it's 75 million young women around the world that have no moral clarity. It's on you. And who am I to tell these 75 million women that they should clarify their will? Well, I'm just a misogynist. I'm a homophobe. I'm a white darling of the alt-right. I'm all these things. But it won't change the facts. It won't change the truth. They're corrupt. Their will is wicked. And they got a they got a first class seat in hell if they don't change it. And guess what? And it's not just them, because if we don't find the moral, uh, um, the moral drive, courage to fight to change them, they'll bring us down with them. That's the thing the Christians don't get yet. At the widest level, we've lost our sense of charity. We've lost our sense of grace and the importance of it. 
The importance of it isn't about individual salvation. It's that the people around you can and will take you down if their will is corrupt. They will corrupt your will. That's why you see a bunch of conservatives pass on all the things that have become of our society. They knew it was wrong. We know it's wrong. We know the military industrial complex is wrong. We knew it was wrong for them to blow off Kennedy's head. We knew the war on terror was wrong. We knew it was wrong to pass the Patriot Act. We knew it was wrong to to to, to pretend like the NFL is some patriotic organization by flying F-16s over before the Super Bowl. We knew all of it was wrong. We knew the vaccine mandates were wrong. We knew the vaccines were wrong. We knew. I mean, the, the list goes on. How has this been able to be, continue to be perpetrated? The American people are in on it. Now, then this is my final thing I'll say. This is why they don't like me. And I'm not talking about the establishment. I'm talking about the people. This is why I don't have a million followers on Twitter or Instagram, because I'm going to force you to look in the mirror. I'm not here to pat you on the back or rub you at night and tell you how great you are and, you know, let you hear, you know, the things you want to hear. I don't give a shit about what people want to hear. I'm just here to tell you what you need to hear, what the, what the truth is. And we at mass don't really like that. There's not really a huge market for that. There's a growing market for it out of desperation. But the natural impetus of man since the fall of man has been to, to, to move away from the truth and logos of God for our own individual and corrupt ambitions. And that's why a person like me will get suicided in the middle of the night in some strange, odd way, and people just go on like, oh, that was so that was so sad what happened to Royce White. I really, I really enjoyed that kid. He made me think a lot. <laughs> I mean, this is Royce, this is the world we've chosen. I don't know. Royce, you, you said a lot. I gotta let you go. I, I would summarize what you said this way if I was being funny and clever. You you basically called athletes KY jelly. Uh, we'll 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 go deeper into that uh, the next. <laughs> Thank you, Royce. Uh, get your fearless army swag at shopblazemedia.com/fearless. Uh, we'll get some last chance Q, Jason Brown. Thanks. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll back out to Los Angeles. Bring in last chance Q, Jason Brown, and you know. The Q used to stand for quarterback, but I think we're going to change this to last chance barbecue. My God. Uh, Before we get Jason, I want to play this clip of Jason Brown showing off uh, the pregame meal he prepared for this weekend's NFL playoff games. Take a look at this. Ooh, yes, sir. Coach JB. Ooh, the mother... This fire, you already know the deal. Got the baked beans on deck, made those, a little bell pepper cut up, green and orange, yellow bell pepper, and then we got the links, the burgers, the chicken, ready to go. Uh, JB, we're gonna start here. You can't have uh, none of that. Before, when, man. when do I get my invitation? When do Come I get on. my invitation if I. Hey, you can't have that. I no want to come this Sunday. I want to come this Sunday for the uh, championship games. Come on. Come I got to figure out how. I got to figure out how to do the show on Monday from Los Angeles. You do it here at my house in my cigar lounge. <laughs> hey, I got 
the setup, I got to figure it out. I got the whole setup. Mm, I was actually, the other possibility I threw out to Steve Kim was like, well, hold on. I wonder if I can get JB and Sean Salisbury to come to Nashville. You can cook here and do your show here for Monday. Could, could, if I got you, Sean Salisbury, and Steve Kim all out here to Nashville, you could do all your Monday shows from right here in Nashville, no? Maybe. I don't know. That'd be rough. <laughs> I got to check it out. That'd be interesting. I, I, either way, hey, you can't have all that food, though, man. You gotta, you're on a diet. I can sample, and I just all I want is the ribs. <laughs> I don't need the baked beans, the mac and cheese. I just need the ribs. Uh, probably try the chicken, uh, but man, I got them ribs look good, bro. Yeah, they're good. I, I smoke them on a drum smoker, man. It's not. It's like unlike anything I've ever had. Mm. All right, hey. uh, let's talk a little football. Steve but, Kim, but, he think he's brother now. He never he eating them ribs like he a brother. He think that's it. I'm like, man, Asian cats don't eat like this. <laughs> oh man. I'm I'm legitimately going to try to come out there this weekend. I, I'm, I'm gonna make that effort to see if there's any kind of way. because uh, I I need that in my life. Uh so JB, let's talk a little football. I don't, I'm going to get to this topic I'm about to mention, but not right here. But I'm hoping that what you saw from Shannon Sharp today has inspired you today to start this show with an apology to Patrick Mahomes and give Patrick Mahomes the flowers that he deserves. Uh, the floor is yours if you want to go ahead and apologize to Patrick Mahomes and finally give, put some respect on his name. First of all, Jason, if you know me by now, I don't apologize. I, you, We are what we do, not what we say we do. If you believe what Shannon Sharp had to say today, then you're as big enough fool as he is. That cat, why apologize? That's who you are, Shannon Sharp. You do that. Like, why are we apologizing? You take that serious? I admit it. Um, I think apologies are for liars, cheaters, and stealers. That's what apologies are for. I don't apologize. That's not who I am. I'm who I am, not who I say I am. You're dead so, wrong. Okay, you know who you are? You're dead wrong about Patrick Mahomes. Deal with that. All right. Let me ask you something. What was the most critical drive of that football game? Chad Henney. 98 yards. Chad Henney going 98 yards. That means I can plug and play pretty much any quarterback in that system, and I'm going to be all right. And it's been proven with Alex Smith, with Jay Feely. Remember Andy Reid had Jay Feely in Philadelphia? He's had quarterback after quarterback success. Jay Feely's a kicker. Well, that, what's A.J. Philly? Sorry, A.J. Philly. So <laughs> let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. This guy went 98 yards, throws a ball right out the gate in his own end zone, backed up. Chad Henney throws the ball right out the gate. Andy Reid doesn't care who's that quarterback. He's confident in his system. I would love to see Patrick Mahomes in Houston 
I would love for all these naysayers and JB haters in Kansas City to. I, I, I can't wait for Andy Reid to retire and everyone sees how bad and gimmicky Mahomes really is. It's unbelievable. And listen, I give him so much credit, Jason, for going in there and playing after he rolled his little ankle. I really do. It's sincerely, sincerely. I give him credit. I, I, I love the passion that he did not want to come out the game. That is what the quarterback position should entail. That's what it requires. That is the leader. I, I never knocked him for not being that guy. Um, I've loved the passion. I love how he wants to play all the time. He never sits out. I've never seen him really try to get out of a game. He always wants to play, contrary to belief, unlike the Kyler Murrays, Lamar Jackson. If I'm a Ravens fan... I am so pissed off at Lamar Jackson for not playing when he was cleared. When I see Mahomes coming out there yesterday and walking out there on Saturday after he was hurt and led their team to victory, he didn't really lead them, but the team won with him. And I just give him a lot of credit. I give him a lot of credit for playing, Jason. Um, and Bad you know, and gimmicky. Come on, man. You called the man bad and gimmicky. Stop it, JB. Overrated. Overrated. Who's more overrated, Jason? Mahomes or Josh Allen? Because <laughs> they're both overrated. And I don't know who's been telling you that, Jason, but I think I've been saying that for quite some time. And I think I said Joe Burrow's the best quarterback in the league. I said it on record for the last two seasons. He's 3-0 and versus Mahomes, 3-0 and versus Allen, about to be 4-0 and versus Mahomes. And all he needs is a damn Super Bowl ring. If he can get the ring, then Burrow by far is the number one quarterback in the league, like I said he is. And if I'm starting a franchise, I pick Burrow one, Lawrence two, and Mahomes probably comes in at three because he won a Super Bowl over Allen and Herbert. So – uh, overrated, but he's the third best quarterback in the league. Overrated, but Josh Allen is the fourth best quarterback in the league. That's how bad quarterback play is. Yeah, give me, give me those problems. Uh, so you're already on the record. You don't think the Chiefs are going to – you think they're going to lose to the Bengals at Arrowhead Stadium this Sunday? Oh, Burrow owns Mahomes. Burrow owns the snow. Burrow owns cold weather. Burrow owns Allen. Burrow owns the AFC. He needs a Super Bowl, though, or he's right back where everyone else I talk about is. He's another guy that can't get the job done. He has to get a Super Bowl ring, and then until he does that, you know, Mahomes is going to still be reigned supreme because he has the ring. And that's just how you have to look at it. When Dan Orlovsky and all these people talk about the best quarterback, they still say Mahomes because he has that elusive ring. So Burrow gets that ring. It's not even close. Burrow throws the ball from the pocket. He throws the ball on time. He throws the ball above 15 yards more than anyone else in the league. He throws the ball beyond the line of scrimmage into the teeth of the defense, unlike any other quarterback in the league other than Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. These guys actually throw into coverage. They're not throwing the ball laterally, behind the line of scrimmage, shovel pass, left-handed, jump pass, all this BS. I told people when Mahomes got hurt the other day, what is he going to have to do? Throw from the pocket on time. He threw the touchdown in the back of the end zone to Van Scantling or Scantling or whatever, 
because he stepped up and he saw the receiver come open. The leg injury made him step up, which maybe will make him a better quarterback. But you can see him struggling because he couldn't get out of the pocket and ad-lib like he normally does. And what did he end up doing? Throwing for what? 190? (laughs) Come on, man. This dude's overrated as hell. That team and Andy Reid makes that thing go. Plug and play any quarterback. Give me Joe Burrow in Kansas City. You wouldn't lose a damn game. The oh, I disagree with you, but the only legitimacy to your argument is is I saw what happened to Donovan McNabb when he left Andy Reid, and it was not pretty. Uh, <laughs> Andy, Andy he got Alex, to Washington D.C., and Mike Shanahan was like, "This guy don't know nothing about football." Hey, every quarterback is so, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so we know where you stand on that. I'll be circle back to you next week where you will be apologizing to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, what should the Cowboys do with Dak Prescott? Now, this is a serious question. What should they do? They, they locked into this monster contract. What do you do? I, I, I don't think it's – I don't blame Kellen Moore. I don't blame Mike McCarthy. This dude – is a fourth-round quarterback that we've tried to make a franchise quarterback. He's just overpaid at 40. And my argument is, JB, and I mean it sincerely, he should walk into Jerry Jones' office and say, hey, man, let me give y'all some of this money back and, and go out and make sure I have everything I need on the rest of this team and I'll play for $28, $30 million a year, whatever, more uh, franchise-friendly deal. I want to be y'all's quarterback, but making me the second, third, fourth highest-paid quarterback in the league is a mistake. Now, again, that's not going to happen, but, I mean, what should the Cowboys do with Dak Prescott? See, I, I asked a trick question, poll question today on my show. I said, who's more overrated, Dak Prescott or Josh Allen? It was a trick question. You know why? Because Josh Allen's overrated, because he gets all the accolades every year as the MVP front runner, as the Super Bowl front runner. Odds on favorite this year was the Buffalo Bills to win it. They didn't even make the AFC title game. First team in history not to do that as odds on favorite Super Bowl champ. So I said, no, it's Josh Allen is the most overrated. Dak Prescott, nobody cares enough to worry about him. He's not overrated. He just isn't very good. I've been saying this for how long? Dak Prescott just isn't good. He's not overrated. He doesn't get the hype. He's a fourth-round guy, like you said, who got overpaid. And if Cooper Rush played yesterday, the Cowboys are playing the Eagles this week. Guarantee. Guarantee. Cooper Rush don't throw up. Damn near pick six on the sideline. He don't throw in a triple coverage on the curl route that's deflected and picked. And... Pollard probably don't even get hurt. But people don't look at all this thing like this. They don't look at football like this in totality if you break the film down. So Dak Prescott is bad. He's not very good. He's never been. He's never been. Mississippi State, the dude wasn't that good. So I'm just trying to – I'm just confused as to why we thought he was good and when did he become this guy that everyone thought was so good. He's never been that guy. So what you do What should they do? You cut him. 
You cut him. You bring in another sorry butt like Derek Carr or somebody. That's the same thing. You're getting the same thing. Get rid of him. Get rid of him like the Raiders just did with Carr. You can't do it in the NFL. Get rid of him. You need to get rid of McCarthy and the OC and go get you Sean Payton while you still can. Or do what the Eagles did. Just just, just jump ship and wreck shop and start over. Because they got rid of a Super Bowl winning champion, Peterson, and said, you know what, your time's ran out here. He's showing that he's still an NFL good head coach in, in Jacksonville right now. McCarthy won a Super Bowl. He won a Super Bowl in Green Bay. It's time to cut bait. Got to get rid of him. Or your time your time is limited. Jerry Jones is 90. I mean, how many years he got left? You better start making a decision right now and make a hard decision. That's what leaders do, Jason. You got to make a hard decision here. Dak Prescott is not the guy, Jason. And how ignorant are we going to stay on this topic? How ignorant is it to continue to think he's going to change? Like, I mean, the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over. Look at what they're doing. The head coach is no good. They they wasted 40 seconds on a punt yesterday. I'm sure they could have used that on the in the in the last of the game. I, I mean, I've never seen some of the stuff that McCarthy does as head coach. And Kellen Moore, he's as soft as runny baby crap, man. I mean, his play calling is soft. He's soft. He doesn't want to speak out. He doesn't want to talk to Dak. He doesn't want to get after Dak. He never talks to him when he throws a pick. I'd be grabbing Dak's jersey. Like, what the hell are you throwing? What do you see? Cooper Rush was the best quarterback for that team. I said it all year. I still say it. I'm convicted with it. And get rid of Dak. You got Cooper Rush. Go draft you a quarterback. Trade up. Go get you a young QB. And They've given a- Dak like $130 million guaranteed. So did Derek Carr. Same thing. You can cut him. <sighs> They're not cutting Derek Carr. They're trading Derek Carr. Or going I, to I try mean, to. Yes, I'm sorry. That's what I mean. Trade Dak Prescott right now. Why he's, why he's still kind of lukewarm. You better trade him right now. You're not going to get any trade value for him next year when he does the same thing over and over. I love Dak Prescott when he comes out and says, I will never do this again. Dog, you're worse than Tony Romo. You've been here long enough. What are you talking about you're not going to do it again? What's going to change? You are what you do, Jason, not what you say you do. Him and Shannon Sharp should get on a yacht and go fishing with Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley next week. All right, now we're circled back to Shannon Sharp. I know you've already uh, offered a little bit of your opinion, but what, what's your pro- Shannon Sharp's apology was great. What, what's your what's your problem with Shannon apologizing? He, he's 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 liar. He's lying. He's a hypocrite. Um, we already know that. So go ahead and apologize for being a hypocrite. Don't apologize for what you did. This isn't the first time you've done this. This is who you are, Jason. We are who we are. I'm tired of people saying something. I don't care what you say. I I care what you do. And if you do this over and over and over and over, and the soft culture and society is going to accept his apologies, 
I've already seen it on social media. I'm, I, I want to blast it out there so bad by all these Sports Illustrated people like, shut up. You don't accept his apology. You're just soft, too. He is what he is. Like, wh- why didn't Skip Bayless not show up for work today? That's the bigger question. I would have not He did show-, show up. I know. Skip was there. Up if I was Skip Bayless. I would have did what he did to me. I would have not shown up. That's what they do on that dang show. So, like, I'm like, come on, man. Like, I wanted to see I wanted to see Shannon Sharp apologize by himself. You know what I give credit to? Skip Bayless. You know why? He didn't apologize. You know what he said? I'm not deleting my tweet. I stand by it. You know why? Because that's who he is. Whether you like him or not. You don't like me either. You don't have to like me either. But you know what? I am who I am. I'm not apologizing because that's who I am. People that apologize are liars, cheaters, and fakers. That's just what it is. I, I'm, I'm a true believer in that in my life. You are what you okay, do. Okay, so look, look, look. Okay, let me give you an example. I don't have a problem when people admit that they did something wrong. I actually enjoy it, like it, respect it. I, two weeks into the season, I took a big dump on Joe Burrow. I've been proven dead wrong. I, I, dead wrong. I was an idiot. I had him read wrong. I'm going to cop to that. Hold and, on. And, and so I like it when people cop to their mistakes. That's totally different. You, you just said two crucial words that are totally different. Admitting and apologizing are two completely different things. You admitted you're wrong. You admitted you got proven wrong. Two different things. You're not apologizing for saying what you said about Joe Burrow, though. He's apologizing for what he did. He is who he is. You're not apologizing for saying Joe Burrow, uh, it was going to be the next whatever you said. You're just admitting that you were proven wrong. You, like you say, you eat crow. I will eat crow on on uh, Mahomes. If I have Mahomes. I'll eat, I'll eat crow if Mahomes proves me wrong, but... Even after this year, Jason, he hasn't proved me wrong. If he wins a Super Bowl, he hasn't proved me wrong. I want to see him in four years. I want to see him in four years. I want to anoint him the GOAT when it is due time. I don't want to do it now because it's too premature. We, we anoint these guys way too quickly, and then you have to go back and apologize for it like Shannon Sharp has to do. Or, in your case, admit you were wrong. No, we don't have to admit nothing right now. He's four years into the league. He's been in the Super Bowl twice. He's thrown two touchdowns, four picks in two Super Bowls. The worst statistics from any starting quarterback in two Super Bowls in the history of football. Why nobody wants to talk about that? He's thrown 13 picks this year, second or third in the league. Nobody wants to talk about that. And he throws the ball at or at behind the line of scrimmage 50% of the game. Seven of his touchdowns are shovel passes. 18 of his touchdowns are under 10 yards. Come on, look at his roster and Andy Reid. Chad Henney comes in, first play, out of his own end zone, tight end, 12-yard completion. Like, Andy Reid's like, I got this. It don't matter who's in here at quarterback. Plug and play. And he goes 98 yards. I argue the most critical uh, series in that game. Because if Jacksonville goes cover zero, brings some heat, and gets a stop, Jacksonville's in in the AFC title game right now. They lost by seven. So, I don't know. That's just me. 
But you admitting you're wrong and apologizing is two completely different things. I admit I'm wrong all the time. Nobody's perfect, Jason. I'm not up here saying, JB, I never wrong. No, I didn't say that. But I'm not apologizing for what I said because what I said is what I believe. So regardless of my opinion or your opinion or whoever's opinion out here, these Twitter naysaying gurus on Twitter who know all things, they work at Walmart, by the way, and they bag my groceries in line every day, but they know more about me than anybody, which is crazy to me. They know more about your job, Jason, than you can imagine. They, they know how to produce that show better than anybody, too. But having said that, admitting you're wrong is a grown man decision. That is what grown folks do. I admit I'm wrong all the time. I'm on Netflix admitting I'm wrong. But apologizing, no, that's who I am. I'm not apologizing for who I am. So that is just the difference. Uh, Shannon Sharp, man, he can apologize till he's blue in the face. I see through the BS. He's fake as hell, and he's a hypocrite. Now, would he have mollywopped everybody on the court? Yes. Yes. Those players didn't want no part of Shannon Sharp at 55 or whatever years old. We know basketball players are soft as baby crap, man. Come on. Even Steven Adams would have got his butt bench pressed. He can't even bench press 225. He looks big and has tattoos. So what? Shannon Sharp has a different mentality, just as you know football players do. Ask O.J. Simpson. Shannon. <laughs> that is my nickname for Shannon. O'Shea Simpson is what I'm going to all right, JB, thank you. Uh, I'm going to try to figure out how to get to L.A. this weekend. And, hey, come, uh, out. come out, man. You'll have some we'll fun. Get... We'll... I got a cigar lounge, food. We'll have all kind of food. All right, we'll get the truth on those ribs. Thank you. Great job. We'll uh, hopefully see you this weekend. All right, let's play some tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow. Striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all receiving. We all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be.